Hi, I'm Michaela McGuirks-Galaro and you're listening to City Road. The 2023 Festival of Urbanism has provided us with some fascinating panel discussions that confront the many contested views on our cities and urban regions. The evidence shows that increasing new housing production alone won't solve the affordability crisis. In this session, we outline strategies for unlocking affordable supply, from social housing to the missing middle. In this session, we'll hear from the New South Wales Minister for Housing and Homelessness, the Honourable Rose Jackson, the Executive Director of the Property Council of Australia, New South Wales, Katie Stevenson, the CEO of the Community Housing Industry Association of New South Wales, Mark Degatardi, Dr Catherine Gilbert from the University of Sydney, and the CEO of National Shelter, Emma Greenhawk. I'll let Professor Nicole Garan start us off. Before we begin tonight, of course, I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on whose unceded lands we meet tonight. Well, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you all to this finale event of the Festival of Urbanism Sydney, the festival that my team joked would never end um, because it's been so good. And, of course, they didn't want it to end and nor do I. Um, But we've got a really wonderful event tonight. I want to welcome our many distinguished guests here in the audience um, tonight. We have um, elected representatives. Thank you for joining us. We've got many senior policy leaders. Um, Thank you for being here. I can see many um, senior Uh, leaders in the research space, a particular welcome to you and thank you for your work in the housing policy arena, as well as many important practitioners and um, former students, community leaders, welcome to all of you. We are at a pivotal point in Australian and New South Wales housing policy. We've got a multifaceted housing problem. We know we have declining access um, to home ownership. We've now got new mortgage stress. There's the crisis in rental affordability and supply, which disproportionately, of course, and unfairly affects particular groups such as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and which have been magnified by the series of natural disasters that we have endured and no doubt will endure in the future. But of course, Australia is not alone in this. Housing affordability and tenure-based inequality has become a global problem, now afflicting even the wealthiest countries across the world. But there's also been a global recognition, and I think perhaps that recognition is dawning here in Australia as well, that the housing policy settings of the past three decades, divestment from social housing, demand-side incentives and subsidies that have inflated prices and helped assetize housing. The mantra of market-based solutions haven't worked. We've talked about boosting housing supply and yet the levers that we traditionally use to boost supply, upfront government investment in social housing, investment in infrastructure, um, large-scale government land development programs, have all been whittled away and instead we've focused on a private rental sector that is dependent on individual landlords who overwhelmingly invest in the existing housing stock and, of course, aren't providing an affordable or secure or, in many cases, appropriate rental housing um, outcome for tenants either. 
So we can diagnose the problem, but tonight, of course, we're here to talk about solutions. And I think we can all agree that those solutions aren't necessarily in the past. In part, that's because the nature of housing need and market failure has extended beyond the traditional groups of low-income earners who have been the focus for housing assistance. And it now extends to a spectrum ranging from people with very complex needs through to moderate income and, in fact, highly qualified workers. So I'm absolutely delighted that the um, Honourable Rose Jackson, Member of Parliament, Minister for Mental Health, Housing, Homelessness, Youth, Water and the North Coast. And <laughs> I was there yesterday and you've already won some, uh, won some fans there. Um, but I'm delighted that the Minister is here tonight to deliver our keynote speech. Rose was elected to the New South Wales Legislative Council in May 2019 and has been fighting for real action on climate change and tackling homelessness and housing affordability prior to and since that time. Now, the Minister will give tonight's keynote address and will then let her catch her breath for a moment while we draw on an expert panel and I'll introduce that panel now. We've got Dr Catherine Gilbert, a lecturer here in the, in the School of Architecture, Design and Planning, and as many of you know, an expert on comparative housing policy who um, has really uh, delivered a series of very high-impact studies on planning, affordable housing, and particularly how the housing crisis is impacting key workers and, as importantly, what to do about that. We also have Emma Green, Greenhog, CEO of National Shelter and National Shelter for those of you who um, are new to this arena is the national peak body aiming to improve housing access, affordability, appropriateness, safety and security for people on low incomes. Emma has worked for 25 years in roles across policy, research, social impact assessment and planning across both government and non-government sectors. We also have Mark Degatardi, Chief Executive Officer of the Community Housing Industry Association New South Wales, who brings decades of senior leadership experience in public advocacy and peak body representation, having worked with both state and federal government ministers and departments throughout his career. And last but not least, of course, we have Katie Stevenson, New South Wales Executive Director at the Property Council of Australia, former Chief of Staff to also former Minister Rob Stokes. Welcome, Rob, is here in the audience. And as a very wonderful um, symmetry, Rob gave the opening address um, for the festival this year. Um, but uh, Katie supported um, the, the former minister across education, planning and public spaces, transport infrastructure, cities portfolios and has worked as an urban designer in Copenhagen, the things you find out when you look at people's uh, bios, as well as in planning at Leichhardt, Burwood and Sutherland Shire Councils. So we're very happy to have Katie from the Property Council here with us tonight as well. Thanks to those of you who've already sent in questions in advance um, for the Minister and for our panellists. We will use as many of those as we're able to, but we've also got a roving mic, so be ready, um, be ready for um, that period of the evening. And with that, um, I welcome the Minister. 
Hello. Is this yes, excellent. Hello everyone. Um, thank you for that um, introduction. My name's Rose. Um, I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet um, and pay my respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect and acknowledgement to any Aboriginal people joining us um, for tonight's conversation. Um, I think it's so important to have opportunities like this for conversation and dialogue with um, political decision makers, industry leaders, um, thought leaders in the academic um, and, you know, broader housing sector um, and just people who are interested in how we can do housing policy better um, in New South Wales. So I will try and keep my keynote address relatively short to provide maximum time for feedback from the panel and opportunities for questions and answers. Really what I wanted to say um, in, you know, my remarks tonight was to reflect on you know, what has been described as this missing middle of policy area, an area where certainly from, you know, my government's perspective, the new government's perspective, there's a real interest in policy discussion, development and enhancement. And that is what we mean by affordable housing and how we grow that part of the sector. So just sort of acknowledging right up front I'm not talking about public housing when I'm talking about affordable housing. There is an incredibly important specific role for public housing to play and happy to have a conversation about the role of the New South Wales government in building more public housing and delivering better public housing outcomes. But from where we are standing right now, there is a whole group of people in our community for whom eligibility for public housing is not going to be something that happens for them in the short term. The eligibility requirements for public housing at the moment are such that for most working people, you are not able to access public housing but the private housing market is also not a place where you can resolve your housing needs. And so that's why this concept of a missing middle um, and the role of affordable housing is, I think, incredibly important to me because one of the things that I have seen is an increasing number of people um, in professions like teaching, um, like hospitality, um, like care work, who are not eligible for public housing, but have been unable to find stable and secure housing in the, in the private housing market. And so, when I go to a place like Batemans Bay and meet a teacher who is living in a tent, arriving at school early every morning in order to access the showers before teaching a full day in the classroom, I know that a public housing solution is not meaningful for them in the short term. That is not someone who we're going to be able to get on the priority public housing waiting list anytime soon. They've got a full-time job teaching at a public high school. But similarly, the private market in that community has failed them and they have been unable to secure affordable housing. And so what role can a sector like affordable housing play in providing them a pathway to stable and secure housing? And I think the group that we're talking about here, the group of people who are caught in this missing middle, is not a small group. In fact, it's a, it's a large and growing group. And, you know, I think there are plenty of um, statistics and, and facts that bear that out. Um, you know, some of the key ones that I reflect on are, you know, the work that has been done that shows that there are five suburbs five suburbs in the entire of Sydney where a couple earning an average income can afford to buy a home without mortgage stress. The fact that 
early career essential workers, um, you know, people in childcare and in aged care, there's not a single suburb, not a single local government area in Sydney where they can afford to buy an affordable home. And the conversation for a lot of people in this category, you know, historically was, how am I ever going to be able to afford to buy a home? You know, these are people for whom that aspiration working to build up the capital to buy a home was something that previously characterised, you know, part of the result that they expected from their, their, the, the effort of their work. Forget, forget buying a home. The conversation that those people are now having in places like Sydney and in many of our regional areas is how am I going to be able to afford to rent a home? That is how much the affordability crisis has deepened for this group of people um, who, you know, would rely on a policy offering like affordable housing. Um, the Anglicare 2023 affordable housing snapshot showed that if you are on the minimum wage, the full-time minimum wage, there are 0.8% of advertised rentals that are available for you. So, you know, we know that this group of people who are unable to resolve their housing needs in the private housing market, but for whom public housing is not a short-term solution, is a large group and a growing group. And they're a group for whom the current system has no answers, and I think it's a real priority of mine to develop answers for them. Now, the answer cannot be supply. It cannot just be build more houses to create more um, supply in the market and that that overall supply will eventually just trickle down to provide solutions for people on those um, low to moderate incomes. Obviously, it probably doesn't surprise anyone in this room to know that that kind of trickle-down economic theory uh, is completely nonsense to me and not the way that I see the evolution of the housing market. Yes, we need more overall housing supply. Clearly, that's something that is necessary and, you know, the government has been out saying that. But it is absolutely not enough just to say that that is the answer. Um, clearly, it is not. It is not just about any supply, it is about affordable housing supply, a dedicated stream into the market of affordable housing to meet the housing needs of this community. And so I think that, you know, part of how we do that and how we have that conversation, you know, and certainly as, as the Minister for Housing, who's specifically, you know, charged with the delivery of social and affordable housing, is about trying to make that that case, that, that more nuanced case about, yes, we need to lift the overall level of housing supply, but if that is all we are doing, we will not be providing solutions to the cohort that I'm talking about. I think, you know, again, one of the reasons that we, you know, historically did not have such a meaningful policy response for this cohort was there was a bit of an assumption that if you were, you know, if you had a job and you were earning a low to moderate income, but you were experiencing housing stress, that is because the choices that you were making about where you wanted to live, um, you know, you were, you were choices that were putting you in that position, that you had other choices, that, you know, yes, if you had a job, um, but you're experiencing housing stress, well, you could move somewhere else, you could make another choice um, to not be in that position of housing stress. But of course, one of the things that 
has changed is that, that that's no longer the case. As we've seen wages stagnate, as we've seen overall housing supply stall, as we've seen ra vacancy rates fall, um, it is no longer the case that people who have, a, ha, who have an income but are experiencing housing stress could make choices in order to avoid that. For most of those people, there is no choice. And so that is why this emergent issue of how do we address housing solutions for the missing middle is, I think, one that's really come up upon government. So I, I think a, a few key principles that, that guide you know, the design and the delivery of this new um, housing response of affordable housing to address the missing middle. Well, one of the things that are important to me is that if we're going to make investments in these areas, if government is going to lean in to design a policy response to deliver that outcome, it needs to be um, structured as a lifetime or generational opportunity, not a five or 10 year chunk opportunity. And I think that we have seen mistakes in the past that have embedded that um, as part of the policy response. And, and that's been a problem. That's you know exacerbated the issues that we have now. So it needs to be something that delivers um, a generational or lifetime response to people that is be, uh, beyond five or 10 year chunks, that is beyond political cycles, that is beyond electoral cycles. It also needs to be something that is transparent and accountable to the people of New South Wales because I am talking about a direct government policy here. I'm not talking about leaving it to the whims of the private market. As I said, clearly that's failed. But if we're going to do a government-designed policy response, whether it provides planning incentives, whether it provides direct financial contributions, whether it provides um, land, whatever the contribution, and it's probably all of the above, a combination of them, whatever the contribution that government is making is, it does need to be transparent and accountable to the community because that's our land, that's government land, that's your land, that's your planning processes. Those are owned by the people of New South Wales. Probably everyone here is like, God, don't want to touch that tar baby of owning planning, but we do. That's the nature of a democratic system. It's our planning system. And if it's going to deliver an outcome on behalf of the people of New South Wales, it needs to be transparent and accountable to the people of New South Wales. So I think that's a really important principle of the framework too and why turning up to discussions like this and conversations like this are incredibly important because it's about having that conversation. I also think we do have to have a conversation about the definition of affordable housing that is meaningful to income and living costs, not to the market. Acknowledging that obviously that will be different in different parts of the state. And so how do we set up an, an affordable housing framework that isn't just responsive to market whims, but reflects real income and, and living costs. Um, and, you know, at the moment, I don't think we have those settings right. Um, and that's something that I, again, because because it's going to be different, because it's going to be varied, you know, I think I'd be keen to have a conversation nationally. I think it would be preferable for us to have a national framework, a clear definition of what affordable housing is, um, that acknowledged that, you know, being responsive to um, someone's actual income and living costs is the better way to articulate what is affordable for them, as opposed to what is affordable in a particular community. Because, of course, I, you know, 
I'm not comfortable defending the idea, which, you know, sometimes, you know, is put to me, um, that $1,000 a week rent is affordable. Now, that is a discount on market rents in some parts of Sydney, but that's not affordable. And if that's the framework that we take, we will never have the kind of diverse communities that I think we should have and that give us strength and that make us a better society. So I do think that framework of um, a relativity to someone's income and living costs, um, a delivery of um, an outcome that lasts the distance and doesn't sort of fall off the end of a funding cliff, um, which we have seen, um, and, you know, articulates, um, you know, a particular accountable and transparent response from the government, you know, some of the themes um, that, you know, I think have guided, you know, have tried to guide the way that we've approached this. You know, I mean, it is an emergent area. When we got elected to government, there's no affordable housing agency. There's no coherent of New South Wales affordable housing policy or strategy or plan. That's something that doesn't exist. Clearly, it should exist. Clearly, we have to have a clear um, policy framework that reflects, as I said, I would hope the things that I have articulated um, and, you know, shows the community the pipeline of work that we're keen to deliver. My view is obviously that the creation of Homes New South Wales, the new central social and affordable housing agency in New South Wales, is the vehicle to do that. And Homes New South Wales, yes, it has a massive social housing component and it's a very important piece of work that Homes New South Wales will do. But it is not just that. It is also about affordable housing and it is bringing into its orbit all of the sort of scattered bits of work that the New South Wales government is currently doing on affordable housing. As I said, unfortunately... The system that we inherited was not much, you know, there's sort of tahis over on the side sort of trying to think about its framework. Um, there was a kind of key worker housing, affordable housing unit over in regional New South Wales that was doing some work in the regions. You know, it's it's been very um, disparate, it's been very fragmented, it hasn't been coherent, it hasn't been based on sound principles. And bringing that together in Homes New South Wales and developing that strategy to guide that work um, is a core task of that agency. And so I'm hopeful that with that new agency, with that drive, with that focus, this is something that the government can show we're serious about and deliver, um, you know, a, a, a policy going forward that actually starts to confront the housing crisis that we're facing. Um, you know, we know we need to do a lot of work in homelessness. We know we need to do a lot of work in, in, in public and social housing. We know we need to do a lot of work in overall supply. But part of that has to be this missing middle, a dedicated piece of work for affordable housing. Otherwise, we will never see um, this kind of security and stability for people on low to moderate incomes that I think are important for a stable and thriving um, and healthy and happy society. So I'll probably leave my remarks there and look forward to the conversation. Thank you so much, Minister. And I'll invite my panel to um, come and take their seats. And as you do, let's all in the audience take a moment. What a very refreshing address. I'll, I've written quite a few notes because, you know, we have now got a set, of, a set of statements, I think, that give us great hope, to be quite frank. Um, but I'm just going to give you, I'm just going to share this one. 
How refreshing is it to hear a housing minister in New South Wales say that trickle-down economics is nonsense? <laughs> and of course it is. <laughs> so, the real talking can begin now. And look, I'm going to ask the first question actually to Dr Catherine Gilbert. Catherine, Joe Hockey... I don't know if anyone, you know, some of you people in the audience are very young. You might not even remember Joe Hockey. <laughs> he was, um, he was a <laughs> lifters and leaners. He he had some good turns. Where is this going? Yeah. yeah, it's all right. We'll take it to where you want it to go. But I just think we need to acknowledge, you know, Joe Hockey said, well, if you want to get into home ownership, you just need to get a good job. Maybe that was right once. But Catherine, if... Joe Hockey had been across the type of research that you do and you've done, what would he have known about, you know, the missing middle that the minister has told us about and, you know, the research evidence about how our housing system has changed, who's missing out and what the consequences of that is or what it looks like? Yeah. Well, in, in terms of who's missing out, I mean, we all know that there's a profound and consistent unmet need um, for social housing. But what we've seen really over the last at least five years that we've been tracking this issue is that increasingly housing affordability problems are rising up the in income spectrum. And so now we have a huge cohort, as the minister mentioned, of people who are in very stable um, full-time employment earning, you know, they're professionals who are earning moderate incomes, people like teachers and nurses who now can't afford to live in Sydney. Um, and so at the time of the last census, this is when rents were, what, about 30% less than they are right now. Um, we found that 50,000 people who are in essential worker jobs, so teachers, nurses, emergency service workers, are actually experiencing housing stress in the greater Sydney region. Um, and I think when we think about the concept of housing affordability, we, we're not just talking now about a household's capacity to pay for housing and also meet its other essential needs for transport, um, for medicine, for food. It's actually where is that housing located that's affordable. And what we're seeing, particularly with key workers, is that increasingly that housing that's affordable, it's actually located outside of the metropolitan region. And even over the last sort of five years, places that historically have been bedroom communities for our essential workers, places like the Central Coast and the Illawarra, now even they're unaffordable. So we, we looked at the geography of this. So an early career registered nurse, for example, could not afford a unit anywhere in the greater Sydney metropolitan region, even out into, into those, um, those areas surrounding Sydney that historically have been affordable. So, a lot of our talk about the missing middle has been about, um, you know, built form diversity, right? That we actually need more diverse and smaller housing types, and that's going to be the affordability solution. But that's, to, that's finding I just mentioned. That was looking at the affordability of a median-priced unit, okay? So this is not something that we can get out of by delivering smaller and my, more diverse housing. And actually, I think this is increasingly being recognized when we spoke to, for some of our research, planners um, as well as you know, housing industry um, organizations, 
were saying, what is sort of the missing middle? And what they were really strongly saying was, sure, we do need a bit more structural diversity in our housing stock. But what we absolutely critically need is housing that is delivered through non-speculative housing models and that can deliver uh, long-term security of tenure and affordability in both the ownership and particularly the rental space. Yeah, and before I move on to Emma, um, Catherine, I think your research has highlighted, and I'll invite you to just say something very briefly on this, but has highlighted, I guess, that there are different policy settings or different, I guess, strategies that can be used to actually create uh, housing that is both affordable but also secure for people on those sort of higher income brackets than people eligible for social housing, perhaps at less cost. Could you just say something about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's, I guess, important to note is when we talk about essential workers, particularly those professional level essential workers who are on moderate incomes, this isn't a, a deeply wicked problem. Actually, you know, we've done some, some modeling that shows that even something like a 20% or 30% discount to market rent product is going to profoundly change the geography of where is affordable. It's not going to help affordability in the very core, the most unaffordable parts of the city. But in that middle ring that's more recently become affordable, even that sort of 20 or 30% discount to market rent can make a, make a difference. Um, even offering housing through a shared equity scheme, for example, can significantly change the geography of affordability and allow essential workers to potentially live in places closer to um, the communities that they serve which is really, really essential. Um, so these are types of um, affordable housing that can be delivered through what we'd say sort of are lighter sort of subsidies. These are things where a planning requirement, an inclusionary zoning requirement, could help to make this type of housing um, viable, or things like a tax concession. This isn't housing that requires the deep level of subsidy um, that, say, is needed for social housing. To scale up social housing, we absolutely need a consistent long-term source of subsidy. Okay. Thank you. Um, thank you, Catherine. Um, look, I've got one more gorgeous quote from, um, you know, politicians past. This one's still around, but um, a little over 12 months ago, Scott Morrison said that to fix the rental problem, renters should buy a house, become <laughs> homeowners. I love that. Now, um, <laughs> if, we, if we can, we can step... We can step back from that, Emma, and and if I can invite you to give mm -hmm. sort of the the national view about the scale and the significance of Australia's housing crisis in New South Wales, but particularly whether we should actually, and I think it is actually a fair observation that our system is still geared on the assumption that people will move into home ownership. Is it about giving up on that and making things better for renters in the private sector, or or what? I think um, just coming back to your sort of question about the scale, I mean, one of the phrases that I use is, you know, by every available measure, you know, we're in a national housing emergency. Um, and that's not just about very low and low income households, you know, it is the moderate um, income households. And, you know, one of the key measures of that, you know, if we're sort of leaving sort of the housing stats is... Um, who is it that our uh, community services are seeing? Um, so uh, one of our members, St Vincent de Paul National Council, leads the emergency relief sort of secretariat. And, 
you know, the, the, the organisations that sit around that, so food, you know, food bank, all of those, they're seeing people and households that they never would have normally seen. So in terms of moderate income, dual income households who never would have thought that they need that kind of emergency relief or material relief purely because of the cost of, of housing. So I think uh, just, just sort of, you know, we always talk about houses, but remember we're talking about homes and, and you know, people in, in all of this sort of, you know, debate. Um, but just getting back to, you know, what you were saying, I don't, I don't think we should ever give up on, you know, the great Australian dream. Um, but it's about recalibrating, I guess, what those responses are. So, you know, we know that the first homeowners grant, you know, inflated the market. Um, you know, so that was billions of dollars that could have been, you know, put elsewhere. Um, but, but the rental sector isn't working. You know, it's highly dysfunctional vacancy rates, you know, some of the, the quality of some of the housing. Um, you know, so I think we don't give up on home ownership, but for the people who are renting, you know, National Cabinet's renting reforms were great and it's great to see, I think, you know, the sort of the eight principles that were there, but we do need more that sits in that, uh, I think, around, you know, the quantum of rent increases. But the other part of that, I think, is really restructuring where uh, it's about the enforcement that relates to rents uh, and the renting system and not, you know, where tenants are having to exercise power, uh, very little power or no power, you know, to, to um, have a, you know, to, to sort of be able to assert their rights. Um, so, so I think it's how we talk about housing um, and, and the role that housing plays. I think that's one of the things we've really lost sight of is, you know, it's not an investment, it's people's homes. Um, and I do think that we're shifting. I do get a sense that that has shifted quite a bit since, I think, the 2019 election in particular. So given the way that the crisis has gone and who it is um, now, you know, who, who's now included, there is a bit of a change in that narrative too about what is the fundamental role that housing plays. Yeah, well, look, I want to bring Mark in now, and I'm sorry, I've run out of cute quotes, but um, <laughs> pepper me with them um, when, we're, when, when we're having a drink outside. But, look, the Community Housing Industry Association plays an interesting role in this space, covering both, you know, social high-need housing as well as the affordable <laughs> sector, and I guess addressing some of the things that Emma and, indeed, the Minister have talked about in terms of tenure security and, um, you know, and, and providing a home for renters. But can you elaborate sort of where the current role of the sector is in this space and, you know, perhaps its future role as well if we do start to see more policy intervention to address, um, you know, the needs of the, the missing middle, to use the Minister's words? Yeah, sure. And g'day, everyone. Um, good on you for coming along. Um, for those of you standing at the back, you can come and sit at these seats at the front. They're just, we don't need them anymore, so <laughs> feel free. Um, so, look, uh, the Community Housing Industry Association represents CHPs across uh, New South Wales, and collectively they, they own or, or manage about 56,000 uh, homes uh, for households uh, across uh, Sydney and, and regional New South Wales. That's right, come on down. Um, um, and, and look, they, that means we're, we're providing homes and looking after communities for, you know, a bit over 120-odd thousand people across New South Wales. Um, you all know the stats around waiting lists. They're extensive. 
Um, there's probably more people in this room that have written academic papers than I've read. Um, so, you know, I don't really want to uh, go into uh, that kind of stuff. I think we just accept the baseline that the need is immense, um, that the change in the housing system has been fundamental. Um, and so my challenge as, uh, as a, one of the leaders of that sector and also as part of the housing system um, is how do we create fundamental response to that change. You can't, um, we are going to have to make incremental wins, but we are going to have to have a fundamental policy setting, in my view. Uh, and that means that we need to um, maybe start to poke the bear on some of these sacred little things that we don't talk about um, in, in nice places, in boardrooms and, and elsewhere. And we need to talk about taxation, you know. We need to talk about um, stuff around the way we've commoditised the housing market and the impact that's had. Um, because when you're talking about social and affordable housing uh, and the crisis need that we had there and still have, that's one thing. But the scale and the exp uh, expansion of that crisis now to a large range of other households um, means that it's going to quickly get away from us unless we begin to change fundamentally the conversation about how we do housing and how we create a housing market. And indeed, the central question of what is a house for? Um, and I think that we really need to lean into, um, not to borrow Joe Hockey's um, words, but we really need to get into that conversation. Community housing providers are all not for profit, uh, and we are providers, we, we look after some of the government's uh, public housing tenancies, uh, we have our own. We need to do more, um, absolutely, but let's be really clear as well around what we mean when we talk about affordable housing. Um, I was really great to hear Rose talk specifically about that. Um, I think we need to be really careful. The conversation publicly about affordable ownership, affordable rental, gets so mixed uh, and so confused when it comes to public debate. We need to split that and we really need to have a sensible conversation about each. Each has merits. We need to consider both of those groups. But we really do need to talk about affordable rental uh, housing much, much more in the conversation than we currently do. Social housing needs a deep subsidy. Affordable housing, in the way that I think about affordable rental housing for low and very low income families, still needs a subsidy. So let's be clear, we can make um, great innovation around how you get more outcomes with that subsidy, uh, how you can create external investment in the CHP sense, how we can leverage debt to provide more homes. All of these are really worthy conversations, but let's not shy away from the central theme that we do need subsidies of, deep, of differing depth across the very low and low income households. But we also need to talk about supply. We also need to talk about home ownership. The question, the challenge for all of us, I think, to round this out, um, is what do we do first? And that's really um, probably the challenge for government that Rose really faces into with her colleagues. Um, it's great to win government, but then you've got to solve all those problems. Um, which group do you help first? How much do you help one group versus another? Because the reality is we can't help them all at the same time. Clearly, um, from the community housing perspective, we would say help the people in greatest need first. Um, and that's our view. Um, we appreciate there'll be different views in the room. Mm. 
And um, great, thank you for being also um, our token male this evening. So, you know, <laughs> well, I'm a really real male. I don't know about token. <laughs> but look, I mean, this is the perfect point, of course, to bring in Katie with the um, perspective of the wider property industry. And of course, new housing supply is so critical and your industry is the one that's going to deliver that supply. But it's not just going to be supply as usual. It's going to be a different type of supply. Tell us your perspectives on this conversation. Yeah, so we're really excited about some of the things that are coming out of the new Mins government in terms of the commentary that everything is on the table and the constructive conversations that we've been having around some of the challenges that we face and some of the things that we've tried and tested in the past that have worked to varying degrees. Um, ultimately, we need a seat at the table and we need to be having, as you say, adult conversations around these sorts of issues, talking about things like tax, but also talking to the development sector about what can be built, because it's all well and good to have a, an enormous effort that the government's going through to introduce new and revised policies, but if all that delivers is an increased supply of $2 million apartments, that doesn't help anyone either. So there's horses for courses and there are different subsidies and different planning policy measures that are going to be required in different geographic locations across the state, but also to support different types of development that will accommodate the needs of this missing middle of people who need more affordable housing than we currently have in stock. The only way that we're going to solve this is by sitting down and working together. We had a, a conversation at the Property Council just this morning around all of the government's efforts around their social and affordable housing policies that they've been talking about and bonus schemes. And some councils have really taken the lead. And I see Peter John and Andrew and others in the room here today from the City of Sydney Council, really great efforts to work towards leading ahead of government, ahead of other councils, to create their own inclusionary zoning schemes and to provide affordable housing. The challenge that we've got is when we start to move the goalposts, other things move as well. So if the government moves ahead and sets a higher target, what we don't want to see is that that investment be attracted to other geographic locations. And so those councils that have gone to great effort and gone alone to develop policies to support this type of development, we don't want to see that development go elsewhere just because of an inadvertent consequence of a really well-intentioned policy decision. So by having us at the table as we are with this government and having adult conversations about these things, we're able to share our perspective and explain why affordable housing in perpetuity is a challenge for us in attracting finance, which means if we can't get the finance to build the developments, again, they won't get built really great policy intention that actually doesn't get us any closer to our goal of providing new homes and new housing for people. The other key thing that we can do is promote design quality and make sure that the stock that we're building is really a great place for people to live. And that's really, really important because we don't want to be delivering social or affordable housing that is not fit for purpose and doesn't meet the really unique and particular needs of these types of people in our community. So by lifting the bar, by supporting innovation and by challenging each other, we're able to make sure that we're, the changes that we're making to the community lead to better lifestyles for people and better communities at the end of the day. The next few years with the housing targets that the state and federal ministers have set means that we're going to have a period of change. That's going to happen anyway. We can be part of the solution and we can be talking to each other about what we want that to look like and how we best make that work. And that's the conversation that we need to be having. And we at the Property Council are really excited to be part of that conversation and committed to making it work. 
Thank you. People are not sticking to scripts tonight. And, <laughs> and this is the kind of conversation that we're going to have to have, obviously, yeah. to, um, to move things forward. But applauding inclusionary zoning and saying, but we need to make it work, mm. talking about tax reform being on the table and the design quality of new housing stock. When we have the Property Council of Australia saying this... Um, I think that does take us forward. So, thank you. Now, it's your turn to get you warmed up and I have a sneaking suspicion we don't need to warm you up. <laughs> but I am going to throw to one of... I'm going to um, send the first question to the Minister and it's, it's, it's a question that was asked by about five or six of you already as a, as a pre-submitted question. So, I'm going to throw it to you. But I want you to put your hand up if you've got a question. They are going to be questions. They are going to be fast. <laughs> I'm going to cut you off and we might <laughs> even have to make sure our speakers answer quickly because we've got 15 minutes max for this. Okay. Are we ready? So, Minister, look, um, I'm going to read it out uh, verbatim. How does the new government, and I'm keeping all of these questions anonymous, by the way, so everyone can relax. <laughs> How does the new government plan to deliver more social um, or public housing when the Landon Housing Corporation's current approach barely replaces existing public housing stock? replace the approach. So, to keep it brief, I mean, one of the first things I did when I became the minister was to cease the sale of public housing that had characterised the funding model of the Land and Housing Corporation previously. Um, and, you know, people will be aware it was a snake eating itself. It could not deliver new stock without... Or, or even actually fund basic maintenance, fund basic maintenance without selling it. Stock didn't work, broke that down... Part of creating homes New South Wales is delivering a new funding model. That's going to require a subsidy. I mean, the reality is the previous government didn't actually invest in public housing. Either the Land and Housing Corporation funded itself by selling its stock or the Commonwealth government funded um, DCJ housing through the NAHA, through the National Housing Agreement. N really, not even a dollar of actual state government consolidated revenue went in to delivering more public housing and... That just does not characterise the approach of our government at all. So the answer is abandon, uh, get rid of, abolish, whatever word you want to use, that model, and build a new one. And that's exactly what we're doing. Sorry, um, Minister, you talked about eligibility. Um, and I want to know when you're going to increase the amount of money a person can earn. Why can't these low, affordable people that you're very concerned about apply for public housing? If you are a nurse, why can't you apply for public housing? And then you wouldn't have to set up yet another layer. I also want to comment on the fact that a community housing does not pay tax. Maybe we could start there too. I mean, look, the reality is if I did that now, all that would do is massively spike an already too large waiting list. And, you know, as Mark said, uh, I, I don't want to add people to a waiting list that's already five, ten years long. It, it's not about, you know, expanding the eligibility, in my view. It's about delivering, a, you know, a housing product that meets the needs of people in the community. So, you know, there are, I think the latest figures are 59,000 people um, on the, you know, social housing waiting list. All, eight or 9,000 of those are priority needs. 
That's a massive unmet need in the community. There are too many people waiting and they are waiting too long. And so I don't really want to go and add more people to that already too long list. I know that we have to deliver more public and social housing and we are trying to do that. But I think the better response in the short term is delivering a targeted um, product for those people. Sure, you know, when, you know, if in the future I won't be the minister anymore, but I don't have a problem with a vision to try and get back up to 10% of total stock, you know, being sort of social housing. I don't mind that idea. We're a long way from that. We're at 4.7% now and, and falling. Hopefully, obviously, I hope to reverse that. Until we're anywhere close to those numbers, the reality is we have to keep eligibility for public housing for the most vulnerable. That is really important. Those are people who desperately need that product. And yes, there are people who will have unmet need in those circumstances. And so that is why an affordable housing product and the government that is interested in delivering that too you know, is important and, and why I'm talking about that. But, you know, the, that, the reality of the, the seat that I'm currently in is I don't want to add more pressure to an already absolutely overburdened public housing system by expanding eligibility. I, I want to meet the need that is there first. Thank you. Got a question here. Uh, thanks, Minister. This probably crosses over with your um, Ministerial Corridor. Paul Scully, so apologies if it's not really exactly your band word. But what I wanted to ask is you've announced as a government uh, anything you, uh, developing at 75 million or above can get the SSD, you know, uh, pathway, and they also will get access if they provide 15% affordable housing to 30% density and, and height. I've got a couple of parts to the question. The first part is what do you mean by affordable housing? How have you defined it there? Is it going to be managed by a regulated community housing provider, noting that the private sector can become a community housing provider um, when that happens? And also, um, if that's not the case, how will you ensure that it is going to income eligible households? Um, it is, Paul is managing that because it is a planning change. Um, you know, I mean, part of the problem is, you know, the definition of affordable housing, you know, is not. Um, ideal, it's what I was acknowledging, you know, we are using the discount on market rent, as, you know, as the sort of um, definition, because that is the pre-existing definition, that's the current definition, as you can see, I don't necessarily think that should necessarily be the framework going forward, but, you know, we're trying to get moving, so that's what we're using for now, and yes, it will be required to be managed by a registered community housing provider, acknowledging your point that for-profits can register as community housing providers. Do I think that that's ideal? No, I don't. I want to see registration limited to not-for-profits. I've been open about that. Registration is currently managed nationally. It's a national framework. I will be taking a proposition to the next Housing and Homelessness Ministerial Council meeting, which I think is in November, my... Um, policy director's telling me, uh, to change that, to update that, to start a conversation nationally about limiting registration to not-for-profits. All right. We've got one question at the back. And audience, we're going to throw some questions to our other panellists as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll stay for a drink. So. Okay. Great. Question up the back. This one's for the minister. <laughs> <laughs> Have you considered something radical? Eliminating R2 zoning, make everything R3. That would produce about 70% of the housing in Sydney available for redevelopment by small developers. Look, I haven't. I'm not the planning minister, but I, you know, I'm always open to radical ideas, so I'll float it with Paul. Hi. I'm trying to figure out how I can ask all of the panel this question. Um, 
I really appreciated the what the minister said about the need for a more coherent policy about affordable housing. And my question is a simple one um, to the panel is, do we have uh, a minister for growing affordable housing in New South Wales? Mm. You know what? We might ask that question at the very end, which is going to be very soon. Um, so, so panellists, you've got that question on notice. It'll be a question about um, the how we deliver affordable housing supply and who delivers it. Okay, um, up the back. Thank you. Uh, this is for all the panel. There's that new idea that's come out. I mean, in Europe, there's things been going on for decades, nearly a century. But there's this new idea about build to rent. And I'd just be interested in what uh, people's perception about how that might add to affordability. I'm going to throw that to Katie. I love it. I think it's great. Um, build to rent is something that applies overseas. So I think 12% of all of the housing stock in the USA is built to rent at the moment, and it's about 9% in the UK. It's something that's uh, very new to the Australian market and a significant shift has been made recently earlier this year thanks to some great advocacy from the property sector that has led to some changes to tax treatments which has really been stopping it. The federal MIT tax for those nerds that are really interested in it was halved um, which is really great and that's really significant to making it happen. Um, the challenge that we've got at the moment is despite that tax change it's only really viable in Victoria and that's where we're seeing it start to happen. So we're doing a lot of work in that space. But build to rent is essentially where it's operated. So you get, uh, it's operated by the developer over the long term. So you can have really great innovation. You can provide all sorts of amenity and facilities that you wouldn't normally where a developer might come in, might build an apartment building or a block of terraces and then walk away. And then each owner just looks after themselves and, and it goes on like that in a normal scenario like we have with most of our housing stock here. In these circumstances, the developer is there for the long term and that brings with it all sorts of opportunities. It has uh, a huge part to play. It's the missing piece of the puzzle in terms of housing affordability and we're already doing some great work with the government around that and how to make that a more attractive option um, and remove some of the restrictions because it is so new under the planning system there are all sorts of weird and wonderful exclusions and um, things that were not intended that because a new product has entered the market things just don't quite sit neatly so we're working on resolving all those things because I think it's something that we should be supporting and I think we can see a lot of it once we get those settings right we'll be able to see that really ramp up and that's going to provide a huge amount of stock at different price points and certainly targeting the affordable market is, is really key. Thanks, Katie. And I'm sure our other panellists would like to comment on that. But I, I just have I'm... to jump in, Nicole. I'm oh, sorry. Right. I really am. All right. And then we've got one more. <laughs> so um, built rent as an asset class or an ownership structure for housing um, does have potential um, in the private rental market. Absolutely. There's no question about that. We have to be really careful about saying build to rent equals affordable. Of course, of course of itself, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It could, it might, it, it might, it could in certain circumstances, predominantly in circumstances that attract a subsidy um, to make it work because that's the, the way it works. And it might be an okay model in that. Build Trend's got good things. You know, long-term ownership of buildings is better than building something, scarpering off and letting it fall to the ground. So there's, there are positive things, right? Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean affordable. So we've got to be really careful in our conversations around that. And, yeah. and I, I know that Katie said that. I just really want to add... Uh, Another part to that too is it needs a subsidy. If we look at build to rent and affordable 
housing using the Queensland model, they're time-limited subsidies. So, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing we'd really like to get away from is having time-limited subsidies around affordable housing because what happens after 10 years or 15 years, so... Okay. Well, talking about time, we are actually on a deadline, <laughs> in part because our Auslan interpreter needs to have a break too. But I want our last, last... We've got one question at the back and then we'll throw marks to the panel. I don't mind who answers this question, um, but from your introductions, it sounded to me like we aren't as much in a housing crisis as a market crisis. Developers have an incentive to slow down the release of housing stock and build the most expensive housing possible as this makes them the most money. To what extent do you think market intervention beyond non-market housing and developer regulation is a necessity to solve this issue? Who would like to? Have I got a volunteer? Oh, don't start with me. Oh, I'll let Katie compose herself. <laughs> and, um, uh, I'm is it time for drinks? Can we bring one down? Yeah. Uh, it um, is time for drinks. And so what we're going to do is... <laughs> We love that question. I love that question. I want to hear what the panel have to say. I also love Mark's question. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give each of the panellists a last word, starting with Dr Gilbert. Catherine, I'm actually going to ask you, though, to address Mark's question. Do you think we have a, resp a, a way... Or what would be your number one way in New South Wales of increasing affordable supply? Okay, well, look, I've got a lot of ways, but I think I can anticipate maybe what some of my colleagues on the panel will say. So I'm going to put my planner's cap on um, for this one, and I'm going to say that actually we need to really use our planning system more effectively to support access to land um, for uh, people who are delivering an affordable housing product. Um, so I'm happy to have you know, a conversation about value uplift and recapture. I think we really need to think about what our views are on who owns um, the value uplift of land. And if we're going to have planning reform, what we need to be focusing that on is actually making sure that not-for-profit providers have access to land and that they have an easier path through the planning system. If we're going to expedite you know, projects, why not target that to um, people who are actually delivering housing for an, a defined unmet need? Well, I think you've answered both questions there. That's great. Um, Mark, what's your response? Um, look, uh, given that we've got a state government minister here, I won't mention the T word again about tax, but we do need to talk about tax. And Oops, I did it. Um, <laughs> but what I would really like to see is actually a, a long-term structured response around building the stock of affordable housing that it, it's held in perpetuity. We might need some emergency responses to get over humps. I'm quite open to that now. But if we don't, if we don't build a long-term affordable housing permanent stock, um, then we've missed uh, our responsibility, not just the opportunity. And we're only going to do that if we do inclusionary zoning and long-term investment. Emma, what's your number one strategy? So many to choose from. Look, I think given the way that government money is, it's about how do we maximise, you know, the subsidies that we have. And I think I'll put planning in there. And I don't just mean, um, I guess, you know, sort of the short wins, but I think how do we maximise every dollar? So through the planning scheme, you know, um, an inclusionary zoning has to be in there because I think particularly about how we can use it to be leveraging, you know, for CHPs, for example, how can planning be delivering um, bang for buck on the, the sites that they, you know, acquire? Okay. Um, Minister, I'm going to give you the last word and that is going to be um, Mark's question Quite exactly as it... Yeah, and Katie is going to get the question of whether we need more regulation of the industry. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> 
Just go with yes. Go with me? Me yeah. now? Okay, <laughs> fantastic. I'm ready. So developers aren't actually incentivised to hold on to land. It's quite the opposite. We're incentivised to get in and get out as quickly as we can because for every day that developers have the site, they've got holding costs, while they're building, they're paying tradies, it's, it's expensive. So the best course of action for a developer is to purchase a site, get in, get the DA approved as quickly as you can, get the development constructed as quickly as you can, and then move on to your next project. So I challenge the assumption that, that developers are incentivised to do that. Ultimately, what we can't do is what we can't get finance for. There are very few people in Australia who are independently wealthy enough to spend their own money on this stuff. It's all coming through finance and the banks have tightened their lending criteria for each of us and our mortgages, but also very much on the development sector as well. So we can't build what the market won't allow us to build and we also can't build the developments that the tax settings and the planning policies facilitate for us. So what we need to do is work together to look at what those settings are and try and reduce the cost imposition that they have on development as much as we can because how much it costs to a developer is how much it's passed on to you, the purchaser. So that would be my answer to that question. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for asking it. And the last question to the Minister, do we have a Minister for Increasing Affordable Housing Supply? We do. It's the Premier. <laughs> he does genuinely care about it. I mean, the Premier actually gives a shit about this and genuinely is on my back and is on Paul's back, you know, about making this happen. So, look, I mean, I don't know if that's a long-term solution because, you know, Premiers change, politicians change, ministers change, but I can give you that assurance, you know, that right now from the government that I sit in, you know, the cabinet table that I sit around, we do have leadership right from the top in addressing this. And just because I can't help myself... Katie, the only thing that I would say, because I think okay, <laughs> yeah. contest, contestation is good and, and dialogue is good and we can extend over drinks, is mm -hmm. I would just say this, which is, you know, what you say is true, but I think we have to have an honest conversation and an open conversation and an open book conversation about what um, private market profit expectations are considering the depth of the crisis. And I know that they're private operators and I know that they need to make a good profit, but part of what happened in London, and not that London's perfect, they've got affordability issues is a conversation about whether whether we need to talk about is 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 20 to 25 percent which is the current kind of ROI expectations can we have a conversation about 15 because 15 is still good profit good mm. ROI and in some areas and in some circumstances you know maybe we could get behind an idea that yes you know we need to partner I'm obviously into partnerships with everyone but you know government's got to do more but the private market has got to do more too. And so a lean into a conversation about, you know, could we look at some of those profit expectations just, you know, in the context of, you know, particularly delivery of affordable housing products. I think that would be really worth doing. We definitely can because no one's getting a 25 or a 35 what a, right now. What a fabulous way to finish the festival of contested urbanism. <laughs> Thank you so much to our panellists and particularly for not all agreeing. Thanks for listening to this podcast series from the Festival of Urbanism. Make sure you check out all the panel discussions at cityroadpod.org. See you next time.